The Way Out Podcast, episode 249. What is your name? Alex McRobert. Alex McRobert, what was your substance of choice or what we might refer to as a drug of choice? Alcohol. Woman after my own heart in that regard. What is your clean or sober date? April 13th, 2019. Congratulations. That is a lot of one days at a time. Thank you. What is your primary pathway to recovery or your primary program of recovery? Yoga. What does recovery mean to you? Um, what does recovery mean to me? Healing. Healing. <laughs> How do you serve the recovery community at large? I serve the recovery community through my Sober Curious Yoga program, um, through yoga, through meditations, um, and through coaching. Welcome Way Out faithful and first-timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on. Right now, I'm Charlie, and in this rendition of The Way Out, we've got an incredibly inspiring and relatable interview with person in long-term recovery and the one and only sober yoga girl, Alex McRobert, aka Alex McRobs. For those of you who are social media inclined, Alex, a self 
self-proclaimed and quintessential party girl since high school, shares her journey to and through sobriety to this point, which included addressing her mental health in addition to her true reckoning with her relationship to alcohol, which over time turned from relatively harmless and consequence-free partying to a progressive and indeed destructive force in her life. The instrumental move for Alex was joining One Year No Beer, a community of people who were actively working on eliminating alcohol from their lives. This is where the magic happened, where Alex began to hear the recovery and sobriety journeys of those who have gone down the path before her, and of those who were starting that journey alongside her. What started out as a 28-day sobriety goal turned into 90 days, which has now spanned more than two years and counting. Finding her true purpose, which is operating her mindful life practice and sober, curious yoga school, sprang from her decision to share her recovery journey publicly, which prompted folks to reach out to Alex to help them on their own quest to sobriety and recovery, thus integrating yoga and recovery coaching into a blended model that brings her students on a path to recovery and wellness. Without question, Alex's decision to get sober and then share her journey to sobriety openly has not only transformed her own life, but the lives of a growing number of people she's been able to reach as a result. So listen up as Alex McRobbs recovers out loud with us right now. Alex McRobert, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Way Out podcast. I can't thank you enough. I'm very excited to hear your story, your journey to recovery that culminated in something really special that you're doing today. And we'll talk a lot more about that as we progress here on this here interview. Why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and we'll get started. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Um, my name is Alex and I am 29 years old. I am a Canadian. I grew up in the city of Toronto and I moved out to the Middle East. I moved to Kuwait actually when I was 23. Um, and I have now been here for six years. Um, I've shifted over to Abu Dhabi, um, which is a bit of a bigger city, a little bit more happening here. Um, but I've been living here through most of my 20s. Why Kuwait? What prompts a young woman at the age of 23 growing up in Toronto, Canada, a city close to my heart, a brother of mine lived there for many, many years, to move to Kuwait, of all places? You have no idea how many times <laughs> I've been asked this question. <laughs> like, even when I was moving to Kuwait, people were like, what? <laughs> um, so I'll tell you. <laughs> So I um, am a school teacher. Um, well, I was a school teacher, actually, not anymore. Um, and when I was graduating school um, in my uh, in my early twenties, there weren't a lot of jobs for teachers um, in Canada. 
Um, there was just a big, long wait list. You had to be a substitute teacher. And so they were really promoting us to go abroad. You know, if you go abroad as a teacher, you get um, a pretty good gig. You get your flights, return flights uh, paid for you. You get an apartment and you kind of get to travel the world. Um, and so when I first started looking into it, I actually really wanted to move to like Central America, um, you know, like Caribbean. I was like, I could live on a beach. It's going to be awesome. Have my drinks. Um, and the job opportunities were not great. Um, the, you know, they're, they're lower income countries. So the school situations weren't as great. And I actually got scouted by a principal in Kuwait um, and really liked him, ended up having a bunch of mutual friends at the school. Um, and it was just kind of one of those, like, felt like the right fit. Um, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into, but uh, got on the plane a few months later. And uh, that's how I ended up here. <laughs> and you haven't looked back since. Well, the first few months I looked back, <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> Um, but I hit a point where, you know, I, I just, I love this continent. Um, there's just so much to learn and so much to explore. And, um, I really found a home for myself in Abu Dhabi. And so, so yeah, I don't see myself coming back anytime soon. <laughs> We're going to talk a lot more about your experiences in Kuwait and how things worked for you as you start to try to integrate into a completely different culture and society. That's got to be really an experience to to have and to hold before we get there. Tell us a little bit about what it was like for you growing up in Canada and we'll get into your story a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in uh, Toronto. Um, I grew up in just kind of like the normal culture um, in North America at that time, you know, drinking was a huge part of Canadian culture. Um, it was a part of my family life. Um, I was a party girl from like age 15, um, got really into the drinking and going out with friends. And um, I ended up going to university um, in Kingston, Ontario, which is just outside of Toronto, three hours um, away. And um, it was there that I got really into partying, um, was also doing teacher's college. And um, I don't know what else to say about my life growing up in Canada. It was just like a normal, I guess, childhood. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you drank? And was that a memorable experience for you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What a question. No one has asked me this question on a podcast. Um, so I don't think I've ever told this story in a podcast episode but I did write about it in, I, I wrote a book this year, um, which hasn't been published, but I wrote about the first time I drank and it was actually quite a traumatic event. Um, not for, I was okay, um, but I was 14 and I had stolen alcohol from, me and a couple of my friends had stolen alcohol from our parents. And um, one of my friends that night ended up, uh, she, we ended up finding her at the party unconscious um, and we were in a park and um, ended up carrying her out of the park, like on my shoulder. And the super interesting thing about this is that in my memory, I was carrying her alone down the street and I had coffee with a friend this year. And in her memory, she was carrying her alone down the street, but we were both there and neither of us remembered each other. Like my friend said to me, I want to tell you the story about this night in high school. And I was like, 
no, I was there and neither of us remembered the other person being there. It was so, so crazy. And I told my sister about this and my sister said to me, you know, that just speaks to how scary and isolating it was for you at such a young age Mm -hmm. that neither of you remembered the other person. So anyway, it was a very traumatic night um, because I ended up, I couldn't, well, two of us were carrying her in my memory. It was me alone, but we couldn't carry her very far out of this park. And, um, woman ended up calling the police. Um, everyone left. I ended up talking to the police and telling them, you know, my friend, I don't know what happened to her. She might, there might've been drugs. Maybe she had alcohol poisoning, but, um, the police ended up calling my parents and I was in so much trouble. I was grounded. Um, and so, it was like a really traumatic night. And and I look back on that and I'm like, you'd think that I would have said like, okay, partying is not cool. And like, I'm like, I don't understand why I then continued. Cause it only, I don't want to say it got worse, but I look back on my teenage years and I'm like all the drama, all the chaos, all the stress, it all came from partying. Like there was none of that before I was partying. Um, and so I look back and I just find it very interesting that it then kind of set me off this path on, you know, carrying on wanting to do that. Um, but yeah, so that was my first experience drinking and, um, yeah, (laughs) I could, Alex, this is really crazy. The first time I ever got drunk, I went to a party at a friend's house. His parents were out of town and they had this fully stocked bar. They lived on this lake. They were definitely of greater means that I was growing up and I drank so much that night that I blacked out and I was completely out of control. I mean, out of control, but I loved this uh, prior to blacking out. I, I, I loved the way I felt. It was magical, but I just kept wanting more and they were trying to keep me from drinking more because they knew that I was out of control. So they ended up putting me in a dog kennel and they went back to party and then they checked on me sometime later and I had stopped breathing and my lips were blue. Oh my God. And I had to be resuscitated by my best friend. Miraculously, he was able to do that. And then they fed me a bottle of syrup of Ipecac and I, threw up for like hours and all I wanted to do was party again. So I can very much relate. So, you know, I'm your friend in that situation. So I just, that's a crazy story because I can intimately relate with not only that really sort of crazy experience, but that not being enough to say, maybe I need to not do that again. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And sort of, that disconnect but but alcohol for me did something that i couldn't do for myself and and so i kept chasing that can you relate to that yeah what do you mean by something you couldn't do for yourself well i couldn't i couldn't escape that this feeling that i couldn't get out of my own skin i couldn't get out of my own head right but alcohol got me out of my own head uh, when i couldn't right and it gave me escape. It also gave me confidence. I could talk to the girls. I could stick up to the guys, right? I mean, it did things for me, Alex, that I couldn't do for myself at the time. Totally, totally. And I think for myself, it was like, I 
couldn't find a way to, I guess, kind of like calm my mind or like numb my mind. Mm. And I think that is what alcohol gave me. Um, Like I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of like mood things and alcohol, I thought helped with that. Absolutely. And it did for a period of time, for a finite period of time, it quieted the itty bitty shitty committee that was going on in my head. Totally. Uh, And the anxiety and the depression, that stuff that was going on, you know, my mom died when I was 11 years old. So that really, I think, jump started a lot of my mental health stuff that I had going on at the time. And uh, yeah, so it was dual purpose for me. Yeah, it quieted the mind. It eased my anxiety and Mm -hmm. it gave me these like superpowers that I didn't have the ability to be able to conjure on my own. And I just kept chasing that. So what happens then you go to university and the partying gets leveled up, huh? You know, yes. But I also was like, all of my friends were doing it. And so I don't think I thought that it was that much of a problem. Um, Like everyone, all, all the people that I seem to attract it, you know, like attracts like, and so mm-hmm. Everyone was um, drinking on weeknights. Everyone was binging on the weekends. And it wasn't until, like, I distinctly remember moving in to an apartment at the very end of my uh, university career. Um, I, my friend's little sister had a room available and I was like, I'm going to move in with them for just two months. And they were athletes. Like one of them was a runner and the other one played lacrosse and I distinctly remember like we would watch, we would watch the bachelor and like not drink wine. And they would, they would be like, let's go for a drink. And it would literally be one drink. And I remember (laughs) being like, I've, this is, I've never been in this situation in my life where someone says one drink and they're actually having one. (laughs) And that was the first point in my life where I started to like hide my drinking. Um, you know, like I would be, I would want to have a drink on a weeknight, but was like, these people are going to judge me. Whereas all throughout my university, I didn't feel like my roommates were going to judge me. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, wow, like this is, um, right. Right. Yeah. I could yeah. totally relate with that because I, I too, again, hung out with that crowd. Right. So, it, you know, and it especially was, if I could hang out with people that drink more than me, which became increasingly hard to find by the way, but nonetheless, yeah. That I, you know, that it didn't feel like I was doing anything out of the ordinary or especially bad. But sort of launching into adulthood and then meeting people that can have one drink and like switch to Diet Coke (laughs) was a really surreal experience. And also, yeah, brought that self-awareness to me that... I can't really get loaded here when nobody else is getting loaded here. So uh, now how did you end up? How do you end up reconciling? How do you deal with? How did you deal with that? Well, I, I think at that point it wasn't so much of a problem for me. I think I was okay. Maybe having one, I might've gone home. I remember that night I might've gone home and like had, a, had a couple more drinks by myself, but it, I don't remember it being a point of, um, me being as bad as I was towards the end of my drinking days, you know, like, like most people, it accelerates over time and no one starts out being like, you know, I'm, I'm binging all the time. Um, it's interesting when I look back on my whole drinking time, because I remember like an occasion 
for example, a year later in when I was already in Kuwait, where, you know, I was traveling to Jordan with my mom and we were going to be in a, a campsite where there was not going to be alcohol. And I remember being okay with that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I've been thinking about it lately and I'm like, where did this flip switch where it hit a point where I was like, I can't be okay with, with being on vacation around alcohol. Um, so anyway, back to your question. Like, I think I was okay with it at the time. It was just like a heightened awareness. Right. Um, An aha moment that not everybody drinks. Like I tend to drink, like I like to drink, right? Yeah, exactly. Partying all the time. How does your uh, drinking progress as you finish university and you make this big move at the age of 23 to Kuwait? Tell me a little bit about that move. How did you adapt to this new culture and this completely new, uh, uh, really way of life. Right. Yeah. Um, so actually Kuwait is one of 12 countries in the world where alcohol is completely illegal. Did you know that? I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, that was like everyone's question when they were like, you're moving to Kuwait, alcohol is (laughs) illegal. Like, I remember people saying to me, like, I always see you with like the biggest bottle of liquor in your hand, like how you're going to get arrested in Kuwait. And I was like, it's fine. Um, And so the thing about Kuwait is it's illegal. Um, However, it can be found on embassies. Um, So on the American embassy, for example, it's legal to have alcohol. So they have alcohol imported Um, and it can be found um, and it can also be made. Um, and so very much uh, like during prohibition, Alex, uh, curiously, or maybe not so curiously, alcohol didn't like disappear when they made it illegal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It just made it like untalked about. Um, and so I became obsessed with, first of all, I learned how to make it and my kitchen was full of like homemade alcohol. Um, and I also found, I became obsessed with like finding people that could like give me alcohol. Um, whether it was like going on dates with people who were like, Oh, we can go to the embassy. Um, and all of a sudden I just found myself being attracted to people. Like, I don't think I saw it in the moment as troubling as it, as it sounds when I say it out loud, which is like, I was like hanging out with people based on whether we could drink together and not because I liked them per se. And so I all of a sudden, like I did meet some amazing friends while I was there, but I spent time with people that I look back and I'm like, I would never choose that person like in my real life. Um, And so then I also became obsessed with traveling because when you went out of the country, you could drink and you could drink as soon as you're on an airplane. So it was like every weekend I was like here and there and, you know, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, um, like anywhere where I could drink. And then drinking for me became like drinking to excess, you know, like I would start drinking in the morning on vacation because I was like, for me, it felt like I was never, I was having a limited access to alcohol, but in reality, I was also drinking it back. (laughs) I was drinking my homemade stuff in Kuwait. So it wasn't like I wasn't drinking in Kuwait, but I would always be like, oh, I can't get booze there. So I have to make the most of my time here. And it just really, really ramped up. There's also maybe this forbidden fruit thing going on there with it too, right? Like I'm not supposed mm-hmm. to have this. This isn't technically legal, but it sounds like it became kind of like a hobby mm-hmm. and a pursuit, right? Like, no, I'm going to get this. 
you know, I know it's not legal, but you know, I can get this done. Right. Yeah. And... Hobby is a great way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. also how vacationing and alcohol really became intertwined for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so this escalates over a period of time. Yes. Yeah. So I was, um, towards the end of my time in Kuwait, I had a partner who, um, I was living with who really, well, he was technically on contract in Abu Dhabi. And so as a result of that, we were flying in and out of Kuwait, um, a lot because his office was here in Abu Dhabi and we would come here, you know, every couple of weekends, drink, drink, drink. Um, and then our relationship fell apart and my, uh, life kind of fell apart. My mental health fell apart in Kuwait. Um, and I still did not realize that it was because I had a drinking problem. Um, and so I ended up coming home to Canada and I was extremely fortunate to get mental health treatment for my mood disorder. And I improved a lot, but I inched back into drinking, you know, when I was, when I was with my mom in Canada, it was like, you know, we'll have one beer together because, you know, she was really trying to do what was best for me, which is like, I shouldn't have really been drinking. Um, and I was pretty depressed at this point. So I wasn't really partying. Like I was not really going out. So I was drinking a very minimal amount of alcohol and I ended up, uh, quitting my job in Kuwait. Like everything fell apart. Um, signed a new job in Abu Dhabi, got really lucky to like happen upon this job um, here. And, um, when I came out here, so I did a little, a yoga teacher training. And then the thing about Abu Dhabi is like, even though it's the middle East, it is like worlds apart from Kuwait in that it's kind of like the holiday destination of the region. Um, and so there's brunches, there's all you can drink. Ladies can drink for free pretty much every night of the week because they have ladies nights that are completely free. Um, and so, at a brunch, you pay an unlimited amount and or a certain amount of money. And then people start drinking at noon until 4 p.m. And then there's the after brunch until 8 p.m. And then, you know, all of a sudden you've been drinking for 12 hours. And this is like normal on a Friday. And it was just such an extreme from at least in Kuwait. Like I was for drinking, sure. but but it was not normal to be drunk in Kuwait, really. Like you, there might be a party where people get drunk, you know, once a month at the place, I, the compound I lived in, whereas in Abu Dhabi, it was normal to be drunk any night of the week and, and on the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I found myself in this world where it was not abnormal for me to be drinking to excess. And I really, I think the extremes plus everything that was going on with me just flung me into, um, like that was when it got really bad. It became socially acceptable to be able to excessively drink, Mm -hmm. which is not a great recipe for folks like you and I that have a really hard time controlling the amount of alcohol that we drink, (laughs) right? Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. And I think it's like one of the biggest... Um, like it's a problem here because I myself was like, this is amazing. I'm in Disneyland. It's incredible. But I look around, like I still go to these events sometimes and I look around and I'm just like, wow, this is like 
really not helpful exactly for someone like me just kind of took me down into a into a what at first probably seemed like this is my my personal paradise totally because because i get to legitimately drink all day long and nobody bats an eye turned into something very different for you at the end you mentioned that you have a diagnosed mood disorder and got some help for that. We're huge advocates of mental health care on this show. Uh, I am a product of a intensive therapeutic process along with my recovery process that allowed me to really get well. My experience was that I had to do both. I had to address both in order to mm-hmm. really meaningfully recover. What happens for you as this thing starts to spiral out of control? Well, I actually, the reason why I, I ended up getting sober in the end was pretty much because my mental health was hitting mm-hmm. exactly the point it was um, to, was it two years prior? Yeah. It was maybe a year and a half prior. And I was at the point where I was like, you know, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm doing spinning uh, classes a couple times a week. I'm eating healthy. Um, I have a great job. I have a great apartment. I have great friends. Like there's literally the only thing is the alcohol. And I knew, I knew that it was the problem. Um, and I, the, actually the, the whole reason why I ended up knowing that I had to quit was because of my mood. I was like, I just cannot live like this anymore. And I know that this is the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of takes like, um, I don't know, like, it's like I, I, the, the withdrawal or the, the period of getting sober was just so hard for me that I'm like, I just never want to go back there again. And that was enough to keep me moving forward, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you got to such a place with your mood that you made the decision that you needed to stop drinking. Was the thought process, I need to stop forever, I need to stop for now? What was that thought process when it really got to that breaking point? What were you thinking you needed to do? Yeah, um, so I, there was a, a period of four months actually, or five months that I recall where I was getting targeted ads on Facebook for this program, One Year No Beer. Have you heard of One Year No Beer? I have. Okay. So I was getting targeted ads of people's testimonials of how One Year No Beer had changed their life. And um, probably because I was up at night Googling like how to quit drinking. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kept seeing these stories of like, and, and the amazing thing about One Year No Beer was that they, everything was positioned as like, this is how my life has improved. And also none of the people were identifying as an alcoholic. And for me, that whole thought process of going in and saying um, that I was um, an alcoholic was very overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. And I could really identify with these people that, that labeled themselves as, you know, a normal drinker, um, whether or not that was like, I look back and I'm like, okay, I wasn't a normal drinker, but I think I thought I was. And so it felt kind of relatable. 
Um, and so I kept seeing these ads of like, you know, quit drinking, take a break, you know, you can do 28 days, 90 days a year. And so this idea was in my head, but I was like, I can't quit because, you know, I have this occasion. It's my birthday. It's this holiday. It's this trip. My friends are coming out. And I finally, I was actually on a a holiday with my mom in Morocco. And, um, there were two occasions in this four month period where one of which I felt like my new year's Eve was ruined because I couldn't drink. I was in a, I was in a village in Laos on the bank of the Mekong river, like, you know, once in a lifetime thing. And I'm like, this new year's is ruined because there's no alcohol. <laughs> and um, the same exact scenario happened four months later. It was my birthday and me and my mom were hiking up the high Atlas mountains and there was no alcohol in this homestay. And I said that we had to bring alcohol to this homestay and I was carrying it up the mountain. And it was actually that night. It was my uh, birthday. How old was I? I think I was turning 27. And it was that night where I was like, this is it. Like I, I cannot keep going like this. And I had four more nights of the trip. So I was like, okay, I cannot quit now. Um, so I waited and then it was on the plane back from Casablanca to Abu Dhabi that I said, you know, I'm going to take a break from drinking. And it was initially 28 days. Um, and the first week I actually didn't even join one year, no beer, because I didn't, I was afraid of people knowing, like, I wouldn't even like the page on Facebook because I was afraid of people seeing it and Mm. knowing that I had a problem. Mm -hmm. And so I actually didn't even join the program at first after seven days. So I did seven days on my own. And then I was like, I cannot do this alone. And so I ended up (laughs) joining the program. Um, And I refused to join their Facebook group because I, again, was like, no one can know. And so I joined their Slack, which is like this other app. And I was on it for, I think I was on it for a day. And I was like, this app sucks. Like I need to get on their Facebook group. And so it was like my eighth day and I joined their Facebook group. And that was the game changer for me because I, this whole time thought that there was something flawed within me. Like I thought there was something wrong with me. And then to get into a group with like, at that point, there were 6,000 people in the group. Um, Now, I think, I think by the time I left the group, there were like 20,000, but to end up in this group of all these people with varying degrees, no matter what stage they're at with their relationship with alcohol, they all have come to this conclusion that they need to remove it. And they're all working towards getting it out of their life. Like this was just, it was like magical. Um, And so I was part of one year in a beer and I think I do remember, I think I hit the two week point, maybe 11 days. I got over this hump. I had pretty bad withdrawals because I had such big mood swings with my mental health. Um, and then as soon as I hit this hump, that was around two weeks, I started feeling like amazing. And then I was like, okay, the situation with alcohol was so bad that 28 days won't be enough to reset it. I'm going to extend this to 90. And it was somewhere between like 20 days and 60 days that I was like, I need to be sober for the rest of my life. Like I just cannot ever go back to the way that I was. Um, and so, no, it was never going to be long-term and right. it just momentum built. And I was like, I just can't, uh, this is the only way. <laughs> so here I am. That's such a tremendous story, Alex. And it's really instructive and it's not 
dissimilar to someone who might take that same journey to 12 step or to smart recovery or some other method of recovery because so many times we're very, very conscious of not wanting to be branded as an alcoholic or an addict. And we're still trying to come to terms with our relationship with alcohol or our substance of choice. But then we tap into this community, right? And and you tapped into this community and that was the game changer. Now I'm with people that actually understand mm-hmm. they get it Absolutely. for the first time in my life i'm with a group of people that really understand what i've been going through right and they're all working together at the same goal and what a tremendous experience that is to be able to tap into a community of sober people on a journey of wellness. Yeah, absolutely. And that connection that we make, and it's often said, and I agree, that connection is the opposite of addiction. Yeah. Connection to other people but also connection to a power greater than ourselves, whatever that might be, universe, God, whatever. Right? That connection, our higher selves, right, is really critical in yeah. our wellness journey. Was there anything else that was really instrumental, Alex, for you in your early sobriety, your early recovery? I think, I mean, the one year no beer thing was massive. Um, I also got really, so I've been teaching yoga for seven years and it's been my, it's almost like my life. I don't know. It's felt like my life purpose um, for a long time. And I think the further away that I wasn't embracing this as my life purpose, the more I fell into this path of drinking. And um, as soon as I was, entering my sobriety. Um, I got much more passionate and and dedicated to my yoga practice and my yoga teaching. And it's, and it's amazing. I look back and it's like at the point when my drinking was the worst, there was like one person attending my yoga classes. And it's incredible how, as soon as I stepped into my sobriety, my classes were like fully booked. Like there were 30 people in the room and there was like a wait list And, um, I didn't see it at the time. Um, but I look back now and I'm like, wow, there was just probably an aura about me that was like, so inauthentic. Um, and and people could sense this, the new energy in me and the new authenticity. And, um, and it was just, and it was amazing. An awakening really Mm -hmm. of your spirit, of your mind, of your body. Absolutely. And what a perfect channel to bring that out, yoga, which is absolutely centered in mind, body, and spirit, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. The mental health, did that come along naturally and improve naturally as you embraced your sobriety and started to channel your energy into your yoga practice? Did your mental health come along as a part of that? Or did you have to address that specifically as well? Well, I had been on mood stabilizers um, since 2017 Mm. and they just weren't working (laughs) because I was drinking so much. Um, (laughs) So as soon as I began to get sober, um, they just started to properly kick in. Um, I still was, I was still really unhappy with my, um, I never loved teaching itself. Um, being a school teacher was amazing because it brought me over to the Middle East and it was a good job, but I always in my core wanted to be a yoga teacher. Mm. Um, and so actually towards, as I got more and more into sobriety, I got, I began to feel the discomfort more and more in my job. I was like, this is not for me. Um, and so I ended up meeting a psychic. My assistant teacher referred me to this psychic in Dubai and I am never have been one for any of this kind of stuff. Like I would, that would be the last thing that I would go to. And I was at this point where I was so desperate that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to meet this psychic. And I drove to Dubai, which is about an hour. He was about an hour and 40 minutes. And I got inside his house and he said to me, you were never meant to be a teacher. You were meant to be a healer. You're going to run this business. You're going to become a life coach. You're going to transform people's lives. You're going to help them. You're going to heal them. And it was so interesting because, you know, there were things that he could see in me. And then there were things that he couldn't see. Like he, he didn't know that I was like, oh, I'm 30 days sober. He was like, really? Like, (laughs) I would have never (laughs) guessed that. And so it was really interesting, but he said to me, you know, you have to start creating this business and creating this future. This is the path in life you're meant to take. And that for me was like this moment where I just realized, you know, I've been living this life that's been fine. It's this mediocre life, but like, I'm not doing what I'm meant to do. And that was kind of, I think that's key in when you're entering sobriety is like, you need to find something that motivates you to keep going. And it could be, you know, your children, if you're a parent, it could be, um, it could be anything like big goals. Like some people get really into, you know, running a marathon. And for me, it was like this wake up of like, holy crap, I need to do follow the stream. And, and he kind of inspired that. And so I ended up really kind of shifting my focus and believing in my potential and actually building myself to, you know, the point where I am today. You discovered your purpose, Mm -hmm. which is a truly magical experience. When we discover our purpose and then make that decision to lean into it and forego the known for the unknown, which is, a little scary to build something from the ground up, not knowing what that result is going to be of the efforts that you're going to put towards it, but knowing that it's your purpose and it's what you got to do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. How does that work for you? Tell me about that process of building this business that's now centered in 
your desire to fulfill your purpose as a yoga teacher? Yeah. Um, so when he kind of said to me, you know, you're going to, well, he said to me, you're going to create this retreat center. Um, and it's going to be a fusion of everything like life coaching. He said to me, Tai Chi. And I was like, Tai Chi, like, I don't do Tai Chi. I think you're seeing yoga. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, he said to me, you know, you need to start working towards this. So it, this flip switched in me and I ended up just doing all these, you know, trainings. I did my bar certification, which is like kind of a dance fitness fusion, Pilates, yoga, um, a bit of ballet. I did my spin instructor training. I did my life coach certification. Um, and I also, I did this all in like my first 100 days sober, which is just like wild when I look back. Um, I also went to Massachusetts to meet this yoga teacher who had been so meaningful to me throughout my life. Um, he's an author and he wrote a book called meditations from the mat. And he is, um, a yoga teacher. He's a recovered, um, alcoholic. He is a, he was in the foster care system. Like he had just been through like a very overcome a lot in his life. And I read his book several times and, you know, I read it when I was really young and different parts stuck to me. And then as soon as I was getting sober, I was like, I need to read this book again. And it's funny how, you know, these passages about, um, overcoming addiction, you know, don't stick with you at one age, but then when you circle back and you're going it through, through it yourself, it takes on this whole meaning. Absolutely. Um, and so he, um, ended up, uh, I ended up going to meet him, um, and doing a training with him. I met him on my hundredth day sober. It was just incredible, um, life-changing. And it was the first time I, you know, had been in a room full of people and shared, um, about my sober journey. Cause I wasn't really publicly speaking about it at this point. Um, I did end up posting about it on social media because one year, no beer asked me to do a testimonial for them. Um, and I was super afraid that people would come across it and it would become gossip. And so Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I need to get ahead of this, um, by putting it on my own social media first. And so I posted about it around 100 days and, um, it was so eye-opening to me because so many people reached out and said, you know, I've been through that. I'm going through that. My family's gone through that. Um, I want to quit drinking too. And I realized that something that I thought was so unique to me, um, it's just so many people have been through it or have a loved one who's been through it. And, um, it just made me realize, you know, I really need to start sharing my stories Um, and so it really began with me just posting on social media about sobriety, this and that, and little posts here and there. And I was still kind of mostly posting about my yoga journey and I was doing life coaching and I got my life coaching certification and I was just general coaching people. And, um, people kept coming to me about sobriety, um, because I was posting about my journey on Instagram and, I ended up coaching someone, one of my colleagues through 90 days sober. And, and he wrote me a letter saying, um, thanks for saving my life. And I just like cried. And I was like, this is what I'm meant to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, so I never intended to be, a, I never intended to be a sober coach. I never thought I would be running these sober programs at all. It just kind of came together 
it's so funny because I was doing yoga separately and I was doing sobriety separately. Like I even had two separate websites for it. Like Alex, the sober coach, Alex, the yoga teacher. And over time, it's, I've just, I've just realized like, this is one thing. <laughs> this is one thing we're all trying to like recover and heal. And we're using all of these things at once, you know, coaching, meditation, yoga community. Like it's all, it's all one thing. Um, and so in my program, so I run the mindful life practice, which is really for everyone. Um, I have people in it that are drinkers, people that are non-drinkers, people that, um, are working on their sobriety. And then I have a program within it called sober curious yoga school. And this is an eight week program, um, to have a, you know, a sober curious period, adopt a daily yoga practice. We have journaling. I have, um, other facilitators leading group uh, peer group coaching sessions with them. Um, and then I do one-on-one or sorry, one-on-one work with people, um, in different parts of the world. What I love about the transformation and evolution of your business and what you're doing with the yoga practice and the sober, sober, curious yoga school is it really came out of a decision to recover out loud. Mm -hmm. And what that did for you, as it did for me and so many others, is it shatters that shame around and the stigma around addiction and alcoholism. And it gives others permission to look at their own relationship with drugs or alcohol. And as you said, people reached out and said, hey, I want to get sober too. How did you do that, right? And I really believe that's a higher power thing for me. Like I'm my story in my journey is going to speak to the people that it's supposed to speak to, right? And it's supposed to reach, it's going to reach the people it's supposed to reach. Right. My job is to recover out loud in an authentic, honest and vulnerable way. And if I do that, that it's going to reach people and it's going to potentially start their journey. And it has, obviously, with this podcast and how I embrace my sobriety and recovery as it's integrated across my life. Right. If you know me for eight yeah. seconds, you're probably going to know that I'm in recovery and that I'm sober because it's a part of my identity. It's a part of who I am. And that's Absolutely. a beautiful thing when you can integrate that. As a part of your identity. And then a part of what you do on a day in and day out basis as you're helping others in your mindful life and sober sober yoga school you know i'm going to say that three times fast sober yoga school sober, sober curious sober curious yoga school <laughs> there's another word in there sober <laughs> curious yoga school you got it nailed it sounds like i'm from boston when i try to say it <laughs> But I'm not. Uh, so that's <laughs> tremendous. And I love the evolution that it ended up being this integrated practice, right? 
Yeah. Because I truly believe if we're doing this thing right, it's integrated in all aspects of our life. That recovery yeah. isn't segmented over here. Sobriety isn't segmented over here. And only these people know. I think it starts that way oftentimes. Mm-hmm. But when we truly lead into it and we truly embrace it, it becomes a superpower. And it yeah. becomes really part of who we are. And then it inspires people. And that's yeah. the beautiful thing. It inspires people. Like, hey, maybe I can do that. You know, maybe I can get well. And that's beautiful. Tell me, as you're now operating this amazing mindful life and sober, curious yoga school. Yeah. What's life been like for you? Oh, it's amazing. Oh my God. It's amazing. Um, I, so I just stepped into it full time. Um, this is my first week doing it. (laughs) Um, and I just, am so happy and so fulfilled. Um, and it's just incredible to see the growth in, in my students and my community. Um, so today I, I just came from my yoga teacher training. I'm running two yoga teacher trainings and two of my students in particular, well, one of them was my first sober friend ever. I met her on one year, no beer. I posted and said, Hey, is there, are there any other alcohol free people in Abu Dhabi? And she commented saying, yeah, I'm in Abu Dhabi. And then she, she messaged me saying, I think you're my yoga teacher. (laughs) And I just like completely freaked out because I was like, oh my God, yoga teachers are supposed to like, you know, have it all together. And I clearly don't. Um, and she's become a really good friend of mine. And she's actually one of my students in my yoga teacher training. And two of the people that are in the training now, um, both of them have, have become sober through my programs and, um, they're, they're both at one year sober and they're both at one year of daily yoga and they're now becoming yoga teachers. And I just have these moments sometimes when I, and then, you know, within the group, there's also people that are not sober as well. And it's like a, it's a really beautiful mix. Um, and I just have these moments sometimes where I step back and I'm just like, holy crap, like the, the impact I've had. And I never thought that it would go this far when I just, you know, started yoga on zoom. I just never thought that it would grow into the community that it is today. And it's really amazing to see, you know, like now in sober curious yoga school, I'm actually not even leading the groups myself. Um, I have facilitators leading them and then I'm kind of mentoring them. And I'm just like, Whoa, like this, the very first yoga sober yoga challenge happened a year ago and then to get to this point it's just it's incredible so i'm very happy i love listening to this i love listening to your journey because and this is the first time i'm cracking this open on the podcast so i'm about to embark on my own training journey for becoming a certified peer recovery specialist and then a recovery coach professional here this August. Amazing. And I'm scared and I'm freaked out. And, but my higher power keeps telling me, it keeps knocking me on the head and said, you really need to lean into this. You need to do this and you need to start 
going on this journey. I have no idea, Alex, where it's going to take me. None. Zero. But I do know that it's a journey that I need to take. Yeah. I have to. I just have to. Because I can't get to the end of whatever this thing is of life and not have done it. I just can't. And I think you could identify with that. Absolutely. You have a little voice in your head calling you. Um, you just have to listen, you know? It's the same voice that said you need to start doing this podcast. That's the same voice. And I have to listen to this voice today. And I, it's a gift. It's a true gift to be able to hear that voice today, not to be drowning it out mm-hmm. on a daily basis and bathing it in alcohol. So it's a real gift that that voice comes out and I'm not drowning it out any longer. And as amazing of a gift is I have the courage to be able to follow that calling wherever it ends up taking us, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have some rapid fire questions, Alex, to wrap up this tremendous interview. The first one, I'm a recovery routine nerd. Like I love me a a daily recovery routine. So tell me what your daily or regular recovery routine consists of. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Obviously, my yoga practice. Um, I ride, I have a spin bike. I do spin rides. Um, I do writing, uh, not regularly. Um, Well, not regularly. I mean, I wrote a book this year. (laughs) Um, So yes, regularly. Um, But right now, I don't do like per se a daily journal practice, but I did a lot of writing. And I think that is like an amazing um, tool for people to, to kind of heal, um, their past trauma or whatever is going on with them. Um, and I do meditations, um, and then also just my community and helping others, you know, helping my, the people that I coach, helping the members of my community. I love that meditation is a huge part of my now daily recovery practice. And I say practice for a reason Mm -hmm. because I've been doing it now for 18 months and I'm still not good at it, but I practice it and it yields rewards whether I'm perfect at it or not. Right? Absolutely. What book or piece of spiritual recovery literature had the biggest impact on your sobriety um this is well i mean i guess i would give can i give two absolutely (laughs) okay so meditations from the mat is like my life book and that was the one of the author um that i mentioned at the beginning rolf gates the yoga teacher and that book has been my favorite book for um for years um and took on a new meeting with um when i reread it with the with the sobriety context and actually, he has another great book, um, Yoga Addiction, Yoga Recovery and Getting Well. That one was great as well. Okay, I'm giving you three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the more the merrier, really. <laughs> the other one, I mean, I got so into reading, um, but The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober was the 
first main book that I read. Um, we call it Quitlet in the in the one year no beer circle. Um, and I love the unexpected joy of being sober because it was like, this is something I can relate to. It's funny. Um, the Nate, the title itself didn't seem very cool. I remember being put off by it because I was like, that doesn't seem like a cool, relatable book. And then I picked it up and I'm like, this is so cool and relatable. (laughs) And so, um, that would be for sure. My first, my top favorite, like quitlet book. Absolutely. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received in your recovery? Hmm. What was the best piece of advice? I don't know if it was advice per se, as much as reading other people's stories. Um, reading other people's stories of people who had been through what I had been and had gotten to the point of where they were, wherever it was, 100 days, 500 days. Um, I don't know if it was advice, but it was all these stories um, that really made me believe, you know, if they can do it, so can I. Um, and so I think that is the value. And, you know, there's this Brene Brown quote, she says, share your story. It might become someone else's survival guide. Um, and I just love it. I believe that to my core. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred percent. The reason why we do this podcast. Yeah. When you hear somebody's journey and they thought like you thought, they felt like you felt, they did what you did, and they got better. It gives you not only hope, but it inspires you to believe, truly believe that you can too. Mm -hmm. And that's when the miracle happens. Absolutely. What is the greatest challenge you've had in recovery thus far? I mean, the challenges have changed um, over the years, right? The the over the years, I guess it's been two and a half years. Um, That's <laughs> plural. That's years. Alex. <laughs> um, in the very beginning, the greatest challenge for me was my friends that didn't get it. Um, and, uh, me feeling very alone and not being able to connect to people in the same way. Um, and now that has changed because now I have this huge community of people who get me, um, with the mindful life practice and sober curious yoga school. And so I don't feel that that's my challenge anymore. Um, my current challenge, I'll tell you what my current challenge is. It's that, I have this tendency to be addicted to other things and numb out in other things like Instagram. <laughs> You're kidding. What you mean that our addictive personalities and tendencies can transfer to other things? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. The Japan. Yeah. What are you? I yours? feel that on an intimate level, Alex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's addiction whack-a-mole. And, and look, that's good. 
that's good because that means that that's where you're at in your recovery journey. You're continuing to grow and you're continuing to recognize Mm-hmm. these are other things where that same pattern exists and we have an opportunity to address those things now too. Yeah. Right? I don't think we're ever done. Right. We're it's a continued evolution. Right. I could absolutely for, you know, I got sober off of drugs and alcohol. And then I had to then kick nicotine and then I had to kick sugar, right? So it just like, yeah, that's real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Social media, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is your greatest success in recovery? I think my greatest success is um, creating the life that I that I have now. Um, I have so much joy and so much fulfillment finally doing what I love. Um, and it's, it's just a, it's a life that I always dreamed of and it's amazing. You know, sometimes I have moments where I'm super hard on myself because I haven't grown as much or I haven't expanded as much, or I haven't hit a point that I wanted to be at. And, you know, yesterday I had to give myself a pep talk in the car and be like, Alex, you know, the, the, person of you, the person that you were three years ago would have never even imagined that this would be possible, that you would be doing what you're doing right now. So you're pretty awesome, Alex. Give yourself some credit. (laughs) Positive self-talk is important. Mm -hmm. Really is. We tend to do things like a hundred percent, right? I did. I drank and did that a hundred percent. And I tend to do other things a hundred percent. And I also am my own worst critic and think I should be more successful and <laughs> than I am. So that's an easy path to go down. So that positive self-talk, that's really important, even though it sounds, it feels goofy to do it at first, but the more we do it, the easier it gets, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is a fun one. What song symbolizes your recovery now be kind because i'm going to be listening to this song as i put together the podcast so if it's like an earworm song you're gonna be hearing from me (laughs) um do you know sober by kelly clarkson i do i love that song i love it And I sang it all the time in my first 90 days. And then I actually recorded a cover of it and put it on One Year No Beer. And um, someone commented, some stranger commented. She was like, you know, six months later, you know, these are the three things that got me through. And one was Alex McGraw singing this song. And it was one of those moments of just like, holy crap, you know, you do something for you and you don't realize that it's going to impact other people in the way it does. So anyway, that song is meaningful for me, not just for myself, but for this other woman that was really impacted by me posting it. That is amazing. Are you saying that that is not publicly? Let me start that over again. That is amazing. Are you saying that's not publicly available? The cover? Yes. You know what? Well, I'm not part of One Year No Beer anymore, and I don't know where I should do it again. Yes. <laughs> I should do it again. Yes. 
<laughs> yes, you should, Alex. Yes. I'm gonna do it. Yes, you should, because that would be amazing. And we could have that as the link out instead of the Kelly Clarkson version on the show notes. Although I think this episode's going to go drop too soon, probably for that to happen. But let's just put it out there. Maybe just maybe right now in the show notes, right this minute, just maybe if you check the show notes that has all of Alex's information on how to get a hold of her and how to check out her sober curious yoga school maybe just maybe there is an alex mcrobert cover of sober i'll do my best (laughs) (laughs) tremendous what is something you haven't forgiven yourself or somebody else for alex a good question um I think not necessarily haven't forgiven myself for but I something I I wish I wish that my my mental health had been addressed and supported earlier than it had been. Mm. I wish that it didn't get to the point um, that it did. And I, and I actually was having a, a conversation with my mom earlier today about this, about how she didn't see in, in me what was really going on with me. And so it's no one's fault to blame really. Um, but I do, I don't want to say that I don't forgive it, but I, I don't regret it because had I not hit that rock bottom, I wouldn't be who I am today, you know? So it's not something that I haven't forgiven, but it's something that I wish had happened differently. There's sort of mixed feelings around this experience that you had with your mental health and how long it ended up yeah. taking in order for it to really truly be addressed. Yeah. yeah. And mental health is such a big part of our overall wellness. And when that's not going well, we're not going well, right? Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely been my experience that you know, I need to actively, and it turns out the same things that support my sobriety and recovery also support my mental health. Yeah, <laughs> funny. <laughs> funny how that works, right? <laughs> Alex, this has been an absolutely spectacular interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to recover out loud with us. If you want to check out the Sober Curious Yoga School. Yeah. If you want to check out any of the answers to the rapid fire questions. If you want the contact information of the one and only Alex McRobert. All of that will be in the show notes. Thank you, everybody out there, Way Out Podcast Land. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, 
you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.